a creepy park in California makes people move to Arizona. And then we travel to the year 1925, when four pilots out on a joyride encounter a UFO. But this UFO has a bite taken out of it, today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you guys are having a great day too. I do have to make some corrections though. I know, I know, I never make mistakes. Every word is pronounced perfectly, but sometimes even I make a mistake. First off, I was talking about people who had recently subscribed to my Patreon, and I thanked James Milne. Doesn't exist. Person does not walk the face of the earth. It's James Milne. So thank you for that correction, and thank you for donating to the Patreon. Secondly, yesterday's episode about the Casablanca entities, which is just, I love that episode. It's so weird. I thank Chop Top for recommending the story. He's a great guy. He does a lot of good stuff. Doesn't exist. Well, exist, but Chop Top is a woman. So, making that correction as well. And one last correction regarding Casablanca entities. The story, spoiler alert, that story ends, I say the kid fell off the roof, landed on his head, the aliens went away. And then I just go on. The kid's fine. I didn't, I, when I was editing it, I was like, oh, should I add that? The kid totally lived, no brain damage or anything. He did fall off a house on land right on his head. But he was fine. That article, that story was originally printed in a newspaper in Riverside. A reporter came out to the scene, documented everything. Super bizarre story, and it's just been lost to history. So, yes, those are my corrections. Kid survived. Chop Top is a woman. James Milne. I won't have another correction thing probably for another three months. I do them so rarely, but every so often stuff kind of pops up, and I'm like, I I should address those things. Let's go ahead and move on with our first story. And for our first story, guys, put on your backpacks. We are joining up with Backpack Reverse once more. Backpack Reverse, if you're new to the show, it is a website that is dedicated to investigating the paranormal and then just making stuff up. It's garbage. Ooh, there's a spooky tree in California. Let's write a backstory about a spooky witch, like killing 15 presidents and hanging their ghosts. They just make stuff up. And to add insult to double insult, now they've started a new thing where not only do they make stuff up, but they make it seem like they have a team of dedicated paranormal investigators who go to these locations that aren't haunted. So it's one thing for you to just go on, sorry, it's Friday, it's rant, but there's actually a story here, but it's one thing to say, if you go to this graveyard at 3 a.m., I've heard a ghost shows up, pulls your pants down but then to tell me and then i sent out my dedicated reporter he went out to the graveyard and got his pants pulled down i mean like that is a line too far we are going to valencia park california and in valencia park california apparently there is some sort of horrible entity in this park it's floating around in the darkness and i'm reading this article and the reporter quote unquote is I swear like a bot writes these things. This reporter, though, C-3PO, is saying there's a bunch of evil stuff that happens in this park. And then we segue into the... I, my eyes bulged out of my head when I read this. You, you guys might not find it as aggravating as I do. I'm a journalism major. Absolutely jaw-dropping when I got to the sentence. So the, it's going on, and it's like, Valencia Park, the legend has it that if you go through there, and it's all spooky and spooky tree. Then I get to this part. 
A domain of evil it is, says a passing skateboarder in a pretty decent imitation of Yoda from Star Wars. Thanks, because I thought that was Yoda from Friends. He's smiling, but then his face changes. In all seriousness, dude, I wouldn't go there. And I definitely wouldn't go there at night, if you know what's good for you. And I'm like, so you're telling me that you guys assigned a reporter to go to Valencia Park, and they have a little notepad, a little hat, press pass on it, and a skateboarder goes by, and you're like, what do you think about Valencia Park? And he's like, a domain of evil it is. Now, you guys may think I'm leaning a little too hard. Oh, oh, oh let me finish the skateboarder story, because that's not if that's not dumb enough. Again, they're making it up, which is always this weird thing, because they make it up, and then they just stop halfway through. This is the story the skateboarder tells this reporter, this intrepid journalist who travels to Valencia Park to look at a spooky tree. Skateboarder tells a story. So, my friends went into the woods one night. They shouldn't have, and I didn't go. Because I'm smarter than that. So I'm like outside, just hanging out, skateboarding around, (laughs) perfecting my impression of Yoda. And my friends came running out and they said there was a bunch of bats. But not just bats. Bats with the faces of humans. Now, I don't know if it's just me, but that's not a particularly scary thing. Because they're still tiny. Basically, by saying the bats had the faces of humans, it's the equivalent of saying bats had the faces of babies. Like, yes, if I walked home one day and there was a bat with the face of a baby floating around my apartment, it'd be shocking, but it wouldn't describe what happens next. Because they said they went into Valencia Park, they got attacked by bats with the faces of babies, and then the skateboarders, one of the skateboarders' friends... (laughs) Okay, so, so... Here's what he says. My friends, my friends came away crying, and it wasn't too long after that that one of them moved away to Phoenix. I haven't heard anything from him since. So? He just moved... <laughs> is, that, is that where you go to hide? Again, if you're making it up, and I feel like I'm beating a dead horse, and maybe you guys are aggravated by this, but... If you're beating it, if you're making it, not if you're beating a dead horse, I'm beating a dead horse. If you're making it up, why is your twist ending that your teenage friend moved to Phoenix and you lost touch with him? That's your twist ending? Bats with human faces? That's a good, that's a good fable. That's a good made up thing. And then he moved away to Arizona and was never heard from again by me. He was heard from by other people in Phoenix, but me, myself... I've never heard from him since. Like, why is that a twist ending? But our intrepid... Jer- oh, and let me let me say this, too. Let me say this, too. I know I bring Backpacker Verse up a lot, but this is what I got to deal with. This is the type of stuff I have to deal with. I'm constantly running into ghost stories and paranormal stories. I have to cross-reference it because I find out that it's not true. And you can say, Jason, just stay away from Backpacker Verse. Backpackerverse, as I was researching this, they have a story about two stoners who hotbox Bigfoot. And it's not even Bigfoot. It's some guy... This There's a guy named... There's not. There's not. But Backpackerverse says that there is a Bigfoot who has no neck. And instead of a neck, it's, it's like Arnold Schwarzenegger's chest. He's like this big muscle-bound... He's a normal Bigfoot. But from, like, the ears down to his shoulders, it's all muscle. He's called the meathead of Sycamore Park. So I, I saw that. I saw that at, like, 1230 last night, and I went, damn it. So then I'm having to Google meathead of Sycamore Park. 
for 15 minutes. Seeing if there's any other reference. There's not. There's not totally made up. A new monster, a new cryptid. Meathead of Sycamore Park. Two stoners are smoking weed. And the meathead walks over to them and sits down. Oh, and this one also involves the, a reporter talking to a stoner. He's like, hey, dude. And anyways, Meathead, Meathead Sycamore Park sits down. They have a drawing of it, by the way, too. That's how far they're willing to go with their nonsense. They're sitting, they're smoking weed, and the Meathead is just sitting there. That's the end of the story. He doesn't even smoke. <laughs> but again, I have to cross-reference this nonsense. So, like I always like to do, I don't like to just rant on back. I do like to rant on Backpackerverse, but not just that. I always try to find a, a true ghost story for the area that they're making stuff up. Because one, I don't want to just tell a ridiculous story. And two, I want to show how, if with a little more research, they could have actually told a legit ghost story. We're going to go an hour and a half north of Valencia Park, which is in like Southern California. We're going to go an hour and a half north. We're going to Mount Rubido. It's a mountain that has a faint, it has a giant cross on the top that somebody put up there. It didn't magically appear. Of course, somebody put it up there, but but it's a giant cross on top of a mountain. And if you go up the mountain, there's a little fake. You know, the the Jesus died and they put him in a cave and they rolled a big old rock in front of it. So, anyways, if you go up by this giant cross, there's a a tomb. It's this little Jesus tomb, and there's a picture of Jesus. Not a picture. It, it'd be a picture. There's a picture of Jesus painted on the rock. Which sounds bizarre. Which sounds totally bizarre. Like you you travel this pilgrimage up the mountain and you're going to go visit Jesus' fake tomb and then there's a one foot tall Jesus picture of Jesus waving at you. Now, that place is known to have, or rumored to have uh, cult activity, which you're kind of asking for it if you have a fake tomb of Jesus. And animal sacrifices, all sorts of stuff that goes on with like wilderness areas that are kind of butting up against civilization but far enough away. All those urban legends. But... We have some particular ones here. Again, this is only an hour and a half away. They could have easily moved the skateboarding kid here and be like, dude, you won't believe what was happening. A, a, a tomb of Jesus it is. Apparently, according to reports, Jesus haunts this mountain. People have seen Jesus's ghost on Mount Rubido. So let me ask you, let me ask you this. Where will, you have a choice now. Here's your choice. You can smoke weed with the... <laughs> what was his name again? Meathead. You can smoke weed with the Meathead Bigfoot. You can fight bats with the faces of babies, and then but but then you have to move to Phoenix, Arizona, or you can meet Jesus's ghost. And you, before you go, hey, I'm an atheist. I don't believe in Jesus's ghost. You're like arguing with him. He's like all getting frustrated. He's like, do I have to show you the wounds? Do I have to show you the wounds? Even better, even better. Let me let me throw a little more. So you got Jesus ghost smoking weed with. With I can want to call him Heathcliff for some reason. Smoking weed with a giant fat cat slash the meathead. Bats chasing you. Human faces move to Phoenix. But Mount Ruby Doe, for you people who don't believe in Jesus out there, even though his ghost is floating behind you, it's also been known that if you walk on the trails up there, sometimes you'll turn around and there will be piles of rocks behind you. Like three rocks stacked on top of each other. Ooh. Jesus, he's getting a little, he's moving rocks, he's moving rocks. I don't know if that's Jesus' ghost. This next one I doubt is. There's another, I doubt it, who knows. There's another legend on Mount Rubido that if you're walking on the trails, sometimes pebbles, I like the escalation here. You're walking on the trail, right? Your feet are walking. It's been known that the spirits of the mountain will throw pebbles, rocks, 
or boulders at you as you're walking the trail. Now, you may say, Jason, that's normally what happens when you're walking in the mountains. Pebbles and boulders and rocks come after you. And that's true. That's called gravity. It's not really a ghost. It can be replicated anywhere on the planet. You can replicate it on your table right now. Go get some rocks, boulders, and pebbles. Start rolling them around your house. Doesn't mean there's a ghost there. Or does it? But apparently, though, if you walk up here, rock piles appear behind you. Rocks follow you. (laughs) They don't follow you. They crush you. And then to add to the total weirdness of this story, just this this has almost become its own segment because this mountain seems to just be infused with high strangeness. To be fair, though, all the rest of these incidents I got off of comments from a website about Mount Rubido, whether or not it was haunted. And people were like, some of the comments were like, I live by the mountain, it's not haunted. One person commented, I live in the mountain, it's not haunted. And people were like, what are you? Gollum? People said, I read a story about a guy. I don't know if there's something in the water around this mountain, but all of these comments in this forum about Mount Rubido, were it was like reading a David Lynch screenplay. One guy tells a story. He goes, this guy fell and he got stuck in a rock. And he was stuck there for days. And then a woman hiking smelled something. So I'm like, oh, so the guy fell into the rock, died, and started to decay. And then it goes on to say, a man and his dog found the man. The man and the dog got an award. (laughs) What is going on? I'm (laughs) like, what? How does that? So from what I'm getting from that sequence of events, man falls into a rock. And the terminology, if I remember correctly, is into the rock. But I'm assuming like, it pinned in by a rock. Jesus pushed it to boulder, got the guy all crushed. He's in the he's trapped between a rock and a hard <laughs> He's trapped between a rock and a hard place. A woman walks by, smells his decaying slash still living but poop filled pants smell, leaves, and then a guy and his dog later comes. Dog gets an award. Man gets an award too, but that's not news. The dog getting an award, like Chewbacca, is just brilliant. I love that. Then some guy says that his mother, his mother-in-law, his in-laws were on a vacation to Mount Rubido, and they were there late at night. And his mother-in-law is in a photo. Here's the description of the photo. Here, it's a photo of a man. It's it's a photo of his mother-in-law, right? Not a man. Photo of his mother-in-law. But in the background, you see two transparent people, and it goes on to say. Here, I'll read this to you. It says, this is his comment. Right next to her, there were two people sitting next to her. That's, I'm actually reading it. Next to her, there were two people sitting next to her, and they were transparent or see-through. Thank you for, thank you for clarifying that. Or see-through. One was an overweight male wearing a t-shirt, and you can even see a design on his shirt. Thought he was transparent. But apparently, you can see that he's wearing a third eye blind shirt. The other was a female with her legs bended, okay? And it, I'm assuming she's sitting down, but I've, I've all bets are off. <clears throat> the other was a female with her legs bended, and it appears she's trying to scare people. <laughs> it appears she's trying to scare people by removing her face, and you can see her skeletal face. Don't believe me? Well, if only you knew me, that both you and knew are misspelled, by the way. 
Well, only if you knew me, I can show you the pick, and I would love to show it to a paranormal team to see what they think. So, so there you go. There are your choices. You can hotbox with Meathead, move to Arizona because of Bat, or all that stuff. Jesus pushes a boulder after you. You get crushed by a rock. And then uh, you die in an embarrassing shirt. But then you don't die. You get rescued and a dog wins an award. It was a little journey through the paranormal parts of California, including the made-up ones from Backpackerverse. But let's go ahead and move on to our next story. Our next story is true. As far as the fact is somebody has said it's true. So let's go back in time. So let's go back in time to the year 1959. An old man pulls out a piece of paper and he grabs a pen. He grabs like a quill. Quill with a little thing of ink. And he dips it. He licks the end of it. He's like, mmm, delicious ink. He's like, I'm supposed to do that in reverse order, but whatever. I'm addicted to blue ink. He's writing it down. He's writing a letter. He's like, shh, my name is Don Wood Jr. And I'm going to write you this story. He's writing it down. And then he writes the whole letter out. He folds it up, licks the envelope. Puts the stamp on it, drops it in the mail, and he's waving goodbye to the mailman as the letter is being taken, because he knows this letter will change his life. He wrote this letter to Flying Saucers magazine. So you're like, what is this old man writing this letter to this to this uh, magazine? Well, that is the question I am here to answer for you. A question you didn't even ask. You know why he wrote it. I'm assuming you know. So, he was writing a story, he's, he's telling them it's a story, right? Not, But not a fictional story. It wasn't his fan fiction where he's like hanging out with uh, Johnny Rocket or whatever they had back then. Lost in space. It, anyways, anyways, Johnny Rocket's his restaurant, he's writing fan fiction. He's like, someday I'll be a manager of Johnny Rocket's. I can't wait. By the way, I saw a UFO. So, he writes this letter to Flying Saucer Magazine. And the letter tells this story. Quite fascinating story. The year is 1925. And recreational flying had become a thing. So you had all of these surplus planes after World War I, all these biplanes and stuff. So Don Wood Jr. and three other pilots said, you know what? There's this place called Battle Mountain, which is a giant mesa. It's like 5,000 square feet wide on the top, but the walls are really too steep to climb unless you're really, really good at climbing, have the right equipment. They said, let's go fly our planes out to uh, Battle Mountain, hang out, have a picnic. I don't know. I, don't know. <laughs> I, I mean, let, let's be honest. These guys are going to fly out in their private planes, their private little biplanes, land at Battle Mountain, and talk about planes for uh, like two hours and then fly away. Same thing when you go to a car show. All people do is talk about cars. You never like go to a car show and you're like, hey, have you seen Avengers Endgame? They're like, oh, yeah, man, this Hemi dude, V8, brake pads and and this look at the steering wheel like they just talk about stuff all the time but that's what they were going to do they were going to fly and they were just going to talk about planes on a mesa and then they would fly home and they're like oh those planes are pretty cool right v8s brake pads so uh, whatever they can have those conversations anywhere is what i'm trying to say but anyway and it's probably beautiful it's scenic and all that stuff but anyway so they're flying their planes they land on the mesa that's the sound of the the tires scraping. That just wasn't like a seagull or some weird bird. Ee, 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 and the planes are like, and then the one guy's plane wouldn't stop. And they're like, no, Johnny, no. And it's like, no, that didn't happen. That didn't happen at all. But it would have been exciting. 
We'll pretend that it did. But anyway, so eventually they save Johnny. The plane's teetering on the edge of the Mesa. Huge thing. They save him, and then they talk about planes. But while they're sitting there, this part's exciting. <laughs> this part's real. I don't know why I added that fake part. This part's exciting. They're sitting there, and they're looking off in the distance, and they're like, what in tarnation? And they see something approaching the Mesa as well. Now, obviously, they think it's some sort of aircraft. Because what else is flying that high? They're standing there. And what happens is they see it, and it looks like a saucer. Now, this is a 19... He's writing the letter in 1959. And a lot of people go, this took place in 1925. They didn't know what flying saucers were back then. True, but he's writing it in 1959. So just don't get your hopes up. I think the story's probably true in some aspect, but I I just think it's interesting. A lot of the stuff is like, how could he know what a flying saucer... Because he wrote it after flying saucer. But he wrote it to Flying Saucer Magazine, obviously. But back then, let's assume... That he doesn't know what a flying saucer is. Let's assume the story is true from beginning to end. And, you know, so we'll, we'll get into whether or not it's true in the end. But the UFO, the, he sees a saucer coming down. And he said it's about eight foot in diameter. And it's coming down and it hits the mesa. And then kind of skips up and then goes. Kind of scrapes across the mesa. And they're like having flashback to Johnny's event. The thing eventually skids to a stop. Dust. So the pilots don't get super close to it, but they get close enough because they want to know what that was. And it's sitting on the Mesa with them. So they start walking over. And this is where Don Wood, when he's writing this letter, he's like, basically everything from the point on in this letter, even he admits, is really, really hard to believe. Because again, by the time he's writing it, UFO sightings are a thing, enough that there's a magazine about it. And he goes, what I noticed first was that the UFO was breathing. He says you could see the top and the you could see it basically expand and contract like someone was laying down and they were breathing. He goes, secondly, there would be like he described it as like a clam opening up at part of it. Like in that reinforced the idea that it was breathing. You would see like little like little mouth opening go. (sighs) (sighs) But they didn't hear anything. I just had to do that for dramatic effect. But they're watching it open and close. And thirdly, it had a bite taken out of it. So they're looking at the UFO, and it looks like there is a good chunk removed from part of it. And not like it had any sort of like crash damage from crashing. They said it was leaking this metal foam. This metallic-like foam was just kind of bubbling out of where this wound was. Which made them think, blood. Again, not like when a vehicle crashes, you just have wreckage. They said they saw this foam coming out of it. They got the sense that it wasn't damaged, but it was hurt. It seemed to almost be in a, like if you saw a panicked, injured animal, as opposed to a vehicle like leaking fuel. They said it continually tried to like lift off and then would land again, and then lift off and land again. Like when I say lift off like a couple feet, it was like a bee. Like an injured bee. Again, everything they were seeing were making them think it was some sort of injured animal. So again, if this story took place in 1925 and is true, when they have no idea of what flying saucers are, they wouldn't go, well, that's weird. Flying saucers have gray aliens in them. They're just looking at this anomaly on this mesa, just these four men. And after about 20 minutes, it began to glow incredibly bright because it did have like a metallic sheen to it. And it started to lift off again. Fell back down. 
Now, they don't know what to do. They're petrified. They've never seen anything like it. And even if you thought, this is an injured animal, I can help it. it if you saw an injured deer, you would be foolish to be like, oh, come here, little deer. Because it's probably going to kick you in the face. If it has antlers, you're getting gored. Like, you know what I mean? Like, you could see an animal that looks safe and try to care for it and get injured. This is an eight-foot in circumference clam monster that you've never seen before. You're not going to walk up to him and be like, well, how are you doing, Billy? Like throwing water on it and stuff. You're going to keep your distance. But it's at that point, the men are standing there, the clam standing there, and then a shadow appears on all of them. They all look up. Clam doesn't look up, but all the humans look up. Oh, and also he said it didn't have any feet, didn't have any eyes. It just looked like a clam, but it looked like also two saucers put together on top of each other. Like a normal flying saucer. This giant shadow appears over him. They look up. And there is another creature. A UFO slash flying clam type thing. 30 feet in circumference. And it's coming down from the sky. And four like tendril tongue suction cup things shoot out of it. Latch on to the little guy. And then start to lift him up. And they said that the giant craft became so bright, they couldn't even look at it. So they start looking away, and then it's gone. They look up, the, the light goes away, they look up, it's gone. He said within a second, it was out of sight. He said, he goes, it would have had to been traveling a thousand miles an hour to move that quickly to get out of the way. And then now they feel free to explore the Mesa. So they start talking about planes. No, no. Now they're like, oh, we got to figure out what it was. They go over to where the injured one was in that foam, that like foam that was pouring out of the wound started to turning into what they described as aluminum wire. And then it just started to dissolve into nothingness. And they said there was a horrible stench where it was as well. Now, he says that that happened in 1920. They all got in their planes. They flew away. Totally scared. But he says that happened in 1925 and he never told anybody because he didn't want to be a lunatic. And when he wrote the letter into the magazine, he said, don't use my real name, but you can write me back if you want additional information. And and assume in the original draft, in the original issue of Flying Saucer Magazine, they didn't use his real name. We know his real name now because other researchers have gone back and said at the time, around the time, did write him back and say, can you tell us the story? And the story was pretty much the same when he talked to these other investigators. What's interesting about this story is it is pretty much buried in the UFOlogy. Like, even at the time, like, I was reading a book that was referencing this story, and they're like, nobody wants to talk about this story because it goes against what we think UFOs are. If you believe in UFOs, this is one of the earliest modern UFO sightings. It beats... The sighting in 1947, which kind of started the whole UFO flap, it beats that by 22 years. So why isn't it more well-known? It's because it makes UFOs not alien constructions from another planet. It opens up a whole new can of worms. And Don Wood Jr. said, if you saw one of these at night, you just see a bright light in the sky. I've always had the theory that basically there is a veil of high strangeness all over the place, and you see what your mind is capable of seeing. So somebody who doesn't believe in Bigfoot but is super religious, if they go to an area that has some sort of paranormal event, I'm not going to say they're going to see a seven-foot-tall hairy Jesus walking through the 
walking through the woods, but they may have a real, which would be hilarious, they may have a religious experience there. They may have some sort of Buddhist awakening or something like that. If a sign, if a, someone who believes in Bigfoot went to that mesa, would they have seen a Bigfoot-related thing? It's a really interesting thing because they saw what they could comprehend. We were just achieving flight as humans in 1925. So for them to see a metallic spaceship crash and then another spaceship come and take that spaceship away and have sparks shooting out of it, plasma, all that stuff would be fairly alien in 1920. Well, no pun intended, but fairly alien in 1925. But seeing a giant clam bleed and then another clam show up to save it, it's a little more reasonable, right? It has a biological purpose. But it could have been a UFO, but there, you just can't comprehend that back then. The, re, the universe may only give you as much as you can actually comprehend. It's weird to think about that, because I do think there is a, there is like a, a limit. A, a, a caveman is not going to see a bunch of buttons and dials in a UFO. If you if you believe if you go on this line, a caveman, if you put him in a UFO, he's not gonna be like, what? Trans warp drive? He's going to go in and he's gonna see a bunch of gods sitting on a golden throne with eight arms pressing not buttons. I just said there's no buttons. Moving icons. That's the only way their brain could understand what's going on. Humans will see a biological entity sitting in a very, very high-tech room today. That's what we'll see today. It's always, it never blows your mind, if, if you see what I'm saying. Never blows your mind. So is there a connection between the consciousness and the imagination of the human encountering the event and the event itself? And if there is, it really creates the idea that every paranormal unexplained event is connected by some sort of ether. Bigfoots, UFOs, ghosts, cryptids. It depends on the time and the place and the person viewing it. But it's all pulling from the same source. There may not be any intergalactic empires or dimensions full of the dead or monsters lurking in the darkness. What it may be is a veil that every so often someone peeks behind it and they're seeing a understandable portion of what's behind that veil our brains make it into what we can comprehend and that begs the question what happens if someday the veil falls and our reality and that unreality collide it would be insanity because right now we're just getting little peaks at this other reality but if we were confronted with the full force of it, it wouldn't be flying clams or gray aliens. It would be things that we couldn't comprehend. The safety mechanism that protects our brain would be gone. And we would see nothing but true cosmic horror. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash deadrabbitradio. Twitter is at deadrabbitradio. Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one, guys. Deadrabbitradio.com